Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest today is music career coach Katie Zaccardi. So first of all, just about all the music business advice that you read says you have to get on a playlist in order to be discovered. So if you get on a big playlist, of course, you're going to be discovered and almost an overnight success. And this has happened a lot of times. But this doesn't happen as often as you might think. According to the UK Competition and Markets Authority, which we talked about a lot on the last episode, playlists really aren't as important as everyone thought. So what they did was divide all the streams into six categories. Editorial, which means playlists that are curated by humans at the service. Algatorial, which are playlists that are created by algorithms. Station radio, because they have radio-like features. Autoplay, which are tracks that automatically play when a playlist finishes, and those are served up by an algorithm. User curated, which are playlists made by listeners themselves. And non-playlists, which are songs that are directly accessed directly searched for, directly played by a user. So the interesting part is that they found on Spotify, 50 to 60% of listening is done via user curated playlists. And what that means is playlists that you build yourself and then listen to, as opposed to the ones that are offered by Spotify. And then another 10 to 20% of all listens on Spotify come directly from the user searching for a particular song, their non-playlist. So in other words, 60 to 80% of listeners on Spotify are user-driven, user-choice, user-selected. It's only around 10% of all the listens that come from a curated Spotify playlist. This is pretty much the same on all of the other services as well. They looked at YouTube, they looked at Apple Music, and they looked at Amazon Music. And although some of these numbers change up and down, it's basically the same thing. Most people are listening to music that they choose, not music that's been served up by the particular streaming service. So even though they may have smart algorithms, the streaming music platforms are just not as good at music discovery as we were led to believe. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Also, I'm pleased to announce that the fifth edition of my Mixing Engineer's Handbook is now available. It's totally updated and includes new sections on mixing and immersive audio, self-mastering, new mixer interviews, and much more. Get your copy at a special discounted price at bobbyosinski.com forward slash handbook. You can also find it on Amazon and Apple Books. Oh, and one more thing. You can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosinski.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosinski.com. So we keep on hearing over and over about why metadata is important, but I don't think it ever properly registers. And the reason why is that there's so much money that's being collected that can't find its way into the pockets of the artists or the songwriters because of improper or zero metadata. For instance, the Mechanical Licensing Collective in 2021 
had 424 million in unmatched royalties from digital platforms. SoundCredit estimates that it's basically around $1.4 billion a year in missing music royalties. So that's a lot of money that you're not making because you didn't get the metadata right. Now, metadata used to be written into a special part of the music file that didn't contain audio. That's how metadata on CDs and other media was originally stored. And it can still be stored this way. We just have to use a tagging tool like KID3. When it comes to submitting metadata to streaming services, though, your digital distributor is really taking care of all that. So you have to send it to them properly. So here's what they're looking for, and here's what you should always be sure to include. The track title or the name of your song, the genre of the track, the subgenre, what's the secondary genre, primary artist, the main artist on that track. Are there any featured artists? Include those. The composer or composers, the publisher, super important. The producers, so they can get credit on the track. Any additional contributors? The ISRC code. Every song has to have an ISRC code. And every time you make a revision, that gets its own ISRC code. Is there any explicit content on the track? That has to be indicated. The language of the lyrics. This is a lot more important than you might think. Who's the composition owner? So just because somebody wrote it doesn't mean they actually own that composition. Who's the master recording owner, which is basically a record label, the year that it was recorded, and the release language, which is the language of the release itself. So while you can get away with not having a couple of these things there, the more that you have, the more likely you are to A, get credited, and B, get paid. So make sure you pay special attention to that metadata. My guest this week is Katie Zaccardi, who pivoted from being a wellness coach to being a music career coach. Since then, she's helped hundreds of musicians grow their careers, release music, launch Patreons, start a coaching business, and double their incomes. She has a number of online courses and coaching programs and is the host of her Out to Be podcast. During the interview, we talked about building an audience if you don't have one, where to find your ideal fan, how to monetize your audience, and some tips about putting your music on TikTok, and much more. I spoke with Katie via Zoom from her office in Nashville. Okay, last time we talked about your background, and you were more into the health aspects of helping musicians, and now you're more into branding, helping musicians with their brand, And I take it that a lot of people you were talking to, you felt that the need was there to help them with that. Yeah, it sort of (laughs) was like I would work with people and they'd come in for the wellness. But then once we started working together, everyone ended up wanting to go for release strategy or brand strategy. And so I kind of ended up just following what my clients needs were. And I love to talk about strategy. So now I take more of a holistic look where it's like strategy and mindset and wellness based. Um, But in this project in particular, just taking it down to the foundations in that uh, branding and social media lens so that people could really have the foundations that they need to grow. When you're talking about strategy, what exactly does that mean? So my focus for strategy is really focused on figuring out your unique brand, building a fan base of 
super fans and then the launching to them. So I focus a lot on launching a Patreon or launching a coaching and teaching program and being able to sell without being sleazy, which, you know, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of musicians feel like is impossible, but it's not. Uh, so that's really my area of expertise strategy wise. When it comes to branding, and not just musicians, but most people, their eyes glaze over. As soon as you talk about branding, it's a concept that they inherently know, but they can't get their arms around because they can't really describe it. So how would you describe what branding is? Yeah, and I think a lot of musicians feel like branding is like their genre or like their color palette or something like that, where it's either super visual or it just has to do with their music. But I like to say that we're, and you've probably heard this, if, if anyone listens to any other podcasts or business podcasts or just like is in the world, you've probably heard someone at some point say, we're in the age of the personal brand. And it's very true. In the most recent years, people have gravitated towards wanting to support businesses or influencers and musicians who have a personal brand, meaning that they feel like they have a personal connection with you. They, they're not just supporting like a business name, but they feel like they know who is behind the business. Um, and as musicians, you might be thinking, well, obviously people know it's me because it's me, but it's easy to hide behind the music and be like, the music is the product or the music is the thing. That's the brand. I'm just the musician and the music should sort of sell itself. But the reality is that people want to know more about you than just the music. They want to know you. They want to have a connection with you. So when we're thinking about building a brand, yes, we want to look at the visual brand and the actual aesthetics that you portray, both you know in your live shows, in your um, outfits, in your social media presence and whatnot. But we also want to look at that personal brand aspect, which is how do we figure out what the main parts of you are, what the main parts of your music are, so that we can start to talk about those things and build a connection with fans off of those characteristics or, or topics or themes that you really love to talk about and that you probably write your music about too. And we'll bring those things together to create your brand, your, your holistic brand, which is basically just sort of the, um, the package of you. <laughs> and it's not in a way that, you know, we're pigeonholing people. Cause I think that's another thing that musicians often get afraid of is like, well, if I create a brand or if I try to niche down in some sort of way, then I'm pigeonholing myself. And like, I can't explore other genres or explore other things or, um, talk about other things outside of my brand. And that's not true, but we really just want to be highlighting. What are these like magical aspects of you? What are these things that really make you unique that people will connect with you on? Because the more we can leverage that and, and highlight that and bring that to the forefront, the easier time you'll have creating content, connecting with your fans and being able to feel really confident about who you are as a musician and as a brand. Now, what I've found talking to artists about branding is sometimes they're afraid of it because it might define them too well or define them in a direction that they don't necessarily want to talk about or want out there because their brand might be very, very strong. It might be an undercurrent of um, pet protection or something like that, but it's not something that they want to broadcast to the world, even though they are. Yeah. Have, have you run into that? I have actually. And um, so I created a quiz that's based on the theory that artists have six, there's six artist brand archetypes that you could fall into. And uh, one of my clients, when we were going through the process of figuring out his personal brand and we're kind of going through which archetype he might be, 
when we were having our conversation, he was talking a lot about how like mental health was really important to him and uh, being like anti-bullying online was really important to him and all of these sort of themes. And then we started to run with that. We started to get him on TikTok to create content. And he realized pretty quickly, he was like, I, I'm very passionate about these things, but I'm realizing now that I don't actually want this to be my brand. I am passionate, but I don't want to necessarily be only creating content about this or ever creating content about this. Not right now. What I really want is just to provide a place where people can come and have joy and laugh. And so that was something, obviously he's a musician, he's an electric guitarist, but it was a distinct difference, right? Like in terms of the archetype, he would have been an advocate before and he moved to an entertainer. That's just one way to sort of categorize it. But really he realized, I don't want to show up in this way or I don't want to be known for these things, even though I'm very passionate about it personally, what I want to be known for and what I want to really provide and how I want to serve my audience, audience as a brand is a bit different. So that was one instance where... Um, he was figuring it out as we were going. But I think a lot of musicians too have the experience where they come to me because they just started posting. They just started sharing, they started doing anything. And the path is either completely unclear because they're kind of just sharing a myriad of things with no intentionality to it. Um, or, be <laughs> and this happens a lot on TikTok where it's like they go viral for one random topic or one random thing. And a lot of times when that happens, especially now on the social media, landscape it's like your audience becomes built off of that your audience expects you to talk about that one thing and so that's why i'm such an advocate for figuring this out because when you figure it out first then you can approach your content with that intentionality and then you're not accidentally being categorized as one thing or having an audience that expects one thing or having just talked about one thing that you don't want to talk about anymore and you're trying to figure out how to wiggle your way out of it that's a really good point. One of the things that I found, wrote a book about this uh, social media promotion for musicians was that just being a user online of any social network, doesn't matter what it is, just being a user is not the same thing as promoting yourself, branding yourself. You have to be intentional about it. You have to understand what you're doing, where you're going with it beforehand, or else it's not going to work for you. Just being a user really doesn't cut it for what we need. Yeah, absolutely. And not only because you could be a user and just be engaging and not ever posting, which really isn't going to get you anywhere. But a lot of times if you're a user and you're just posting that the funny ideas that come to you or the funny things that come to you, it can certainly get you attention, but it doesn't mean it's going to impact your music career. I have one client who she uh, she had a very funny TikTok go viral that was about how you think that your blind spot when you're driving like isn't really a thing until you have that moment where you like someone creeps up and you're like oh shit they were in my blind spot like <laughs> yeah. and um we we're talking about it and like the ideal audience for that is people who drive right like anyone who drives is gonna find that funny it's a very large pool of people and where she was struggling was she was like i had this video go viral but then if I post about my music the next day, nobody cares and it flops and then my views get all messed up. And it's because, um, not to say that that video wasn't hilarious and you know funny for her to post, obviously it did very well, but it wasn't serving her in her goals to actually get listeners to her music. And so I think a lot of people focus on virality or just let me post, as I said earlier, like these random things or in her case, right? This random funny thought that she had but her audience didn't know her as a musician. 
her audience didn't care that she was a musician because they just saw her for this funny, you know, sort of universally funny content. And then when you try to pivot, it's such a hard pivot that the audience is like, this is not what I want from you. This is not what I followed you for or what I expected from you. And so that's why it might seem counterintuitive where you're like, well, I could have this viral post if I say this thing, but you want to think about the larger strategy and really that like long-term goal. How is this going to serve you in building an audience of super fans, not just an audience of people who thought like one video was funny. Well, let's talk about super fans for a second. So one of the things that you focus on is building an audience, which is not easy if you don't have one. I mean, if you're starting from, from scratch, which a lot of artists, especially musicians, that they're writing songs because they can. And it's like, well, I have to get it out there. What do I do? So how do you focus on that? How do you help them? Yeah, so the easiest way is really to think about yourself first. And I give my, um, I always recommend doing an sort of audience discovery exercise, figuring out who your ideal fan is, which is just asking a series of questions about who your ideal fan is, right? What are they like? What kind of music do they listen to? What are they kind of experiencing in their life? What age range might they be? And a lot of times this, your ideal fan is going to be a reflection of you. So that's a really great place to start is to just look at yourself and say, where, where am I at in my life? What am I struggling with right now? Or what am I desiring right now? I always use myself as an example, first and foremost, because I think it's, um, it's easy to be like, well, my fans are just people who like pop rock music. Um, but I'll give the example where I'm in my 20s. I just moved to a new place in Nashville from New York. And so I had to make a whole new batch of friends as an adult. I had to adjust to living uh, in a completely new city. Um, I had to sort of just like go, you know, I'm, right now I'm currently just experiencing those motion, emotions of like self-discovery or rediscovery. And so those are the things that I write about in my music. And those are the things that I talk about on my artist uh, accounts. And so people who are ideal fans of mine, yes, they're going to like the genre of music that I play, but more than that, they're going to connect with me over these things. So they might also be other people who have moved to a new city or are sort of like starting fresh in an area of their life and are maybe like in their 20s or 30s and wanting to like make new friends or enter new relationships. And they're in this place of rediscovery. So it's these themes that I'm going to connect pe with people um, on and because I can also use myself as that like fan number one, if you will, I can think about the things that I'm struggling with or that I'm desiring or that I find funny um, and think about the podcasts that I listen to and the types of media I consume and know that my ideal fan is probably going to be in those places and be wanting to talk about those things as well. And so now not only do I have a clearer picture for who that person is, now I can also talk directly to them. And again, I can go to those places where they might be, pitch myself to podcasts that they're listening to, um, you know, partner with people who they might be aware of. So um, it kind of allows you to get that first stepping stone to, fig to building that audience. And it's just by figuring out what that quote unquote avatar looks like. Other thing that I always tell artists is, well, what does your music sound like? Does it sound like another particular artist? Mm -hmm. But it's not the artist that you think it sounds like. It's when people say, you sound like so-and-so. And usually an artist will go, I don't get that at all. But that's the clue. Like when you put a video up to tag 
that other artist that everybody's saying because maybe there's um, an audience there that will dig the same thing in you that they dig in that artist. Absolutely. And go look at that artist and see what type of content they're sharing and what their audience is resonating with because you'll get some insight there as well as to how you can maybe use some of those themes or, or content ideas uh, to use with your audience because they might be quite similar. <laughs> so then the next step, you build an audience, want to monetize it ideally. So what are the steps there? So the first thing is that you want to build that know, like, and trust factor. So I think that's kind of the bridge in between monetizing. And you've probably heard that term before too, if you're listening to this, but once you start to get clear on who your ideal fan is, then you're going to put content out there that they'll resonate with. And in that process, we want to make sure that they're getting to know you and that they are trusting you. So the key here really is in keeping that consistency, continuing to provide value and value can look different. A lot of people throw the word value around, but I like to describe, I actually like to focus on the provide it part of that phrase, provide value. Well, provide is actually easier to understand because think that you're providing entertainment or you're providing relatability and you're essentially giving them something um, education, right? So giving them something that they can walk away feeling like they got something from it. Um, but once you start doing that consistently, then there's a lot of ways that you can monetize. Some of them will be directly on the platform, like on TikTok and YouTube, you can join the creators fund or get ads and monetize your platforms that way. Um, in other ways, you can introduce an offer. So you might start a Patreon where you start to, you know, you have these fans who are following you and then you can create a community where those people who are really, really into you can come over and get special perks and, you know, special contact with you, advanced access to the releases, um, maybe like another community portal where they can chat with each other or live streams or Zoom calls where they have that extra um, touch points with you and they feel closer to you, just like your fan club. Um, if you are someone who likes to coach or teach or wants to introduce any, even like VIP offers where people will do I'll write a song with you or for you or things like that. You can begin to introduce these offers to your audience because now you have an audience of people who will actually buy from you. So when it comes to the offer, that depends on exactly who you are, what you like and, and how you want to monetize it. But there's a number of offers you can introduce. And then the other way you can monetize too, and this is not my area of expertise in particular, but I think it's important to mention, but you can start to get branding spark partnerships and sponsorships both um, on social media by like doing ads with brands um, or talking about their products and off social media as well. Because once you have an audience, uh, you don't have to be a like influencer. And I know a lot of people get the, <laughs> feel like that word in itself is icky, but really all that word means is that you are someone who has influence. And if you have a following, you have influence. Your followers are gonna listen to what you have to say. You don't have to have huge followings to get sponsorships or brand deals. A lot of brands will look at people who might be considered micro influ influencers or people who have um, significant enough followings, but really it's just smaller, but really engaged followings. So there's a lot of opportunities that you have to monetize once you have that fan base, but it's important to make sure that you're nurturing them. And even if your numbers are smaller, like I really, it's about quality, not quantity. Cause if you have quantity of people who don't really care and have no relationship with you and barely pay attention, that's not going to do you any good. 
But if you have less followers, but they're really engaged, you can leverage all of these things. You can sell to them your own offers and your own products. Uh, you can leverage your numbers for brand deals and sponsorships and things like that. And you can build um, beyond that as you go. Brand deals are kind of dicey, I have to say. I've stayed away from sponsorships, like for the this podcast, for instance. I get offered them all the time. I prefer to be independent, so I don't have to worry about the connection with the sponsor because you're automatically connected at the hip when they become your, your sponsor. And to some people, that works, and to others, it does. So your audience, yeah. parts of your audience, they might get the wrong connotation because of your sponsor. So... I prefer to actually stay away. That's my decision, but it's not right for everybody, obviously. Yeah, and I think that what's important to take away regardless is that you are being very thoughtful about the the sponsorships and partnerships that you do take on. Like if you are someone who like only uses Taylor guitars and you're a diehard for Taylor guitars anyway, <laughs> and everyone knows it, well, hey, it's not going to hurt you if you partner with them and can get free products or get paid to promote their stuff or whatever it is. But I certainly don't recommend just taking on deals for the sake of it um, or just taking on everything because you, again, you don't want to jeopardize that trust with your audience. And so if you're just going to be selling to them a bunch of stuff that you don't actually believe in or um, making it confusing as to what you really support or what you use or what you recommend or things like that, it, it could be jeopardizing the, the trust of, that you have with your audience. So be very thoughtful, as always, with anything you're doing, but especially with this as well, with who you're partnering with. It could break your brand, actually, if, if you're not careful, because it could be yeah. something that's not symbiotic with your brand. Exactly. You mentioned TikTok before, and that's a controversial path for many, especially if, if older musicians, older artists, they feel they have to be there because that's the hot thing these days. They're very cautious about it. But in fact, you go the opposite way and you have a very concise and easy to understand method of using TikTok as an artist. I think I do. <laughs> well, the first thing I'll say too is that I understand the hesitation around TikTok and it is hard with anything to kind of get on a new platform and figure it out and figure out your, your mojo there. But um, there really is an audience for everyone on TikTok. And there is there are creators of all ages, like just everyone is there on TikTok. And so I think that if that's what's holding you back, don't let it because there is a place for you on there. And I think that it can be a very magical app in some ways. Uh, definitely has its problems, as does every platform, but it can be really good at getting you right in front of your um, ideal audience. So. I love TikTok for that reason. And I think that one of the best ways to get started on TikTok is basically to create what I like to call your series or shticks, <laughs> whichever word you want to use to describe it, where you essentially figure out what your top, uh, it could be one. Some people honestly just have like one type of video that they create over and over again. Personally, I like to have a little bit more variety than that. So I like top three to maybe five types of videos that you create. And when you're figuring this out, you wanna consider both the actual content of those videos um, and the way you're delivering those videos. So I'll just start with the way you're delivering it. On TikTok and on other apps as well, there's a bunch of ways you can go about that video creation. You can do face to camera talking, 
You can do voiceovers where there's video footage playing and then you're voicing over it. Um, you could do skits. You can use green screen features. Like there's a bunch of different um, features and just ways to present the video. If you are not familiar with TikTok, I'll also just add this here that I recommend just scrolling through because <laughs> you'll see exactly what I mean. And it's a little easier to just see it uh, as opposed to hearing me describe it this way. But when you scroll through, you'll notice these different types of videos. Some people doing skits, some people doing voiceover, some people just talking to, to the camera. So you wanna figure out how you like to deliver content. I know for me, I really don't like doing skits and I really don't like doing voiceovers. So most of my content is really just face to camera. Um, so you'll figure that out. You also wanna figure out your tone. Are you funny? Are you someone who's um, really taking that entertaining route? Are you someone who's maybe a little bit more gentle? And I obviously show up with a lot of energy and a lot of power, but that doesn't have to be you, right? A misconception again is that you have to talk really fast as soon as you get on there. And there are definitely those of us out here, myself included, who do that. But you don't have to do that, right? So find what your tone is, find your personality and let that shine through. You do not have to be something else uh, or someone other than you're not. So once you figure out those things, then you wanna pair that with the messaging. So what is it that you wanna say or how do you wanna get that message across? For this, I usually recommend considering what your brand pillars are and what it is that you like to talk about. So for mine, for my social media presence as a coach, I um, mainly just do tips and tricks. So that's like my series. So when I say series, there's a couple different ways you can go about it too. Some people will literally do like part one, part two, part three of a certain series. Um, some people, and this is how I use it for a lot of what I do. It's just sort of like, this is the type of video that I use. So it's unofficial. No, I'm not saying part one, part two, every time I get up on TikTok and do a tip, it's just in my brain, I know that that's the type of content I create. So I do that. I also have a series where I do wet musicians and give them feedback on their videos. So that is something that they submit to. It's not like I'm just <laughs> picking random people, but um, it allows me to kind of give feedback and do a little bit of coaching on the platform. And um, I just started a new series as well called Real Talk with Katie, where I just sort of sit down while I'm like doing my makeup or cooking or something like that and talk about some of these more taboo topics that we don't talk about in the music industry. And it's really just me like chatting with my audience via a one to three minute video. Um, and so you can see here that these aren't really like super strict series. I know how I'm showing up, um, but it allows me to be really clear as to how I'm showing up so that I'm not getting distracted with, well, should I do a skit or should I do a voiceover? Um, and kind of feeling like I need to be creating all of these things. I know exactly what I'm saying, um, and how I'm saying it. Now you'll notice a lot of other creators might do different rate differently. Like there are some, um, there are some musicians who have series where it's like, what if this song was written by this artist? And then they will do their cover basically of that. Um, so that's an example of a series. Some people I'm trying to think of other examples, like totally on the, <laughs> off the cuff, but some people I know, um, will do a lot of voiceover stuff like day in the life of a musician who's, you know, who writes for a living or something like that. And then they'll show pieces of their day and then they'll voice over. First, I woke up, I made my coffee, went to the studio, there was a dog at the studio, then we laid down these tracks and yada, yada. So there's a bunch of different ways you can go about sharing what you wanna share. And uh, the easiest way really is to find that magic like one to five 
series types, maybe start with less and then grow to more <laughs> if it feels overwhelming to you so that you can begin to show up on TikTok. The one thing you didn't mention though is music, putting your music on. So how would you do that? Yes. So, okay. The, and this is what I like to stress as well. A lot of people only showcase the music, which is why I usually tend to lead with the non-music ideas. I think it's really important to have a balance of both. So when you're thinking about your series ideas, certainly some of them can and should be about showcasing your music. And that can actually be done um, in pretty simple ways. And I'll talk about that in a second. But you also want to make sure that you are doing talking and engaging with your audience so that you can build that relationship. So when it comes to promoting your music, what I uh, think is really important, if you already have music out and you're not releasing something right now, then you can kind of just do this for the songs that you already have out and have a re-engagement campaign essentially for them. If you are promoting music or you have music upcoming, then definitely think about this for the songs that are coming up. And write out, this is an exercise I give my clients all the time, it's like literally just write out what is the song about, like thematically? What inspired it musically? Um, are there any sound-alikes or is there an interesting story about how you created it? And who will resonate with this song? So let's say that you wrote a breakup song and it it's, sounds like Haim or Taylor Swift or something. You're like, okay, musically, it has this vibe. People who like Taylor Swift are going to like it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then if you wrote a breakup song, well, the people who are going to resonate with it are people who just got broken up with, people who are, you know, unsure about their relationship what and whatnot. So you can use these things to create hooks and stories with your music. So it's important. This is basically the bottom line when you're sharing your music. Add context. That's, that's essentially what it comes down to. Because what you don't want to do is just get on the platform and then new music out now and then the song plays and people have no idea who you are. They have no connection with you and they don't know why they care. And you, when you're on TikTok, you are largely sharing to a pool of people who are strangers. Yes, as you build your following, your followers will see your uh, videos and engage with them, of course. But you also want to always assume that when you post on TikTok that you are posting to strangers because in an ideal situation, you will be. It'll get on the For You page. A bunch of people will see it who don't know you and that's how you'll build your audience. So you always want to add context and act as if people don't know who you are or might be new to your music and they um, they need a little bit of a hook to grab their attention and to keep listening. So it can be as simple as, you know, if you just went through a breakup, this is for you. <laughs> I know there's one artist who I love and she's really great at this. Her name is Lauren Weintraub and she um, had a song that was about a breakup and kind of like going back to your ex and then cutting it off. So she would do very simple hooks either in her car, or just kind of in her living room before she played the song and say, like, if you keep thinking about texting your ex, listen to this. Like, oh, that's good. <laughs> so she'd, yeah, she'd kind of come up with these one liners of how is my audience who's going to resonate with this song feeling right now? Like, what are they thinking? What do they need to hear? What's going to call them out? So somebody who's scrolling on TikTok who's thinking about texting their ex is is like, mm, yeah, that's me. And now I'm curious to keep listening and to hear the song. And then because the song is about that, they resonate with it. They love it. They follow, they comment, uh, and they kind of go from there. So that's that's like a very simple but effective way to sh be sharing your music uh, online. Are you talking about putting the whole song up or just a piece of it? Just a piece of it. No. So, and that's actually a great question. So 
what I would do is either do like first verse or chorus. Just kind of depends on number one, what you want. And of course, how the song actually goes. I would not share the whole song. Um, I really, at any point, I would not share the whole song unless you're like going live and playing it live for people. But I would not share the whole song in a video. I would pick a specific clip. And another thing that you can do too is go listen to the song critically and really think about what part of this song are people going to resonate with the most or is the most hooky. And I, I almost hesitate to say it because I don't want people to be going through their music being like, you know, I have to write just for TikTok or, you know, this is the most hooky and so therefore it's the only valuable part of the song. It's not what I'm saying, but you can capitalize on, on parts of songs that are like really rhythmically interesting or have like really unique hooks or lyrics that repeat because that stuff will catch on and stay in people's brains. And then you can create this omnipresence. There's another musician, Maisie Peters, who went um, very viral. She's on tour with Ed Sheeran right now. She went very viral months and months ago because one of her songs, The Bridge, was really, really catchy. Um, rhythmically, it was something that like you just feel fun singing along to. And lyrically, too, it was very interesting. It was very unique. Um, the song is called um, I'm Trying, parentheses, Not Friends. So you can go listen to it and you can go hear the bridge. But for like a month on TikTok, there would just be tons and tons of videos with just that bridge as the background. Lizzo just did it recently, too, with um, I think the song is called It's About Damn Time, but I should double check that <laughs> off the top of my head. But um, she just had another viral Part of that too where it's like a pre-chorus part of the song but again it's very rhythmically catchy and the lyrics are just sort of fun people can dance to it and so that section of the song really took off and people use that over and over again in videos as did she and so if you're the artist you want to be using that part in your videos over and over and over again to start the omnipresence to start to create that but then eventually other creators will catch on too if that part of the song is really something that they can use uh, in their videos or that they want to share as well. So I think that thinking about, you know, not just sharing the long 15 second intro into the verse, but like really thinking about what is the part of the song that people might gravitate towards or kind of latch onto or get stuck in their head and leverage that when you're creating content. I think what most people don't understand as well is it's not the number of views on your video that you get in order to monetize it. It's the number of people that use your music on their videos, and that's where you actually get paid for. So it's completely yeah. different. And it's also a great way for audience growth. Like if yeah. people are using your song and you you've done nothing other than create the you know original momentum, and now people are using it and sharing that, and then more people are using it and more people are using it and hearing it. It's a great way to um, continue to build that fan base and. Just like in marketing, people have said for years, someone needs to he hear or see something seven times in order to actually take action. Well, think about that same principle on TikTok when you're promoting your music. And so if somebody sees seven videos with the same snippet of a song and eventually they're like, this is really catchy. I think I'm gonna actually go listen to the whole song or I'm gonna go check out this artist and follow them. That's how we begin to uh, build that fan base and, and get those new people, not just to become passive listeners or watchers, but to actually become followers and fans. Great information, Katie. This is dynamite. Thank you. I am happy to provide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
So where can people find your quiz? So you can take the quiz. It's called the Artist Brand DNA Quiz at katiezacardi.com slash quiz. It's a great way to get started to figure out your brand. It kind of gives you the overall direction to move towards and helps you identify how you connect with your audience, what your superpowers are, and how to get started in creating your brand. You can find out more about Katie at katiezacardi.com. That's Katie, K-A-T-I-E, Zaccardi, Z-A-C-C-A-R-D-I.com. Remember that you can learn all about the latest in music, audio, and production news when you sign up for my newsletter at bobbyosensky.com. There you'll also find out about openings for my latest online classes and special events. That's bobbyosensky.com. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyoinnercircle.com, or you can find it in Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyoinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. <laughs>